Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Man, what's it like to be surrounded by a bunch of people that uh, you don't know? And uh, maybe they make you a little bit uncomfortable, but you have a message to tell them. Uh, this is what we want to talk about today in The Scent Life. Uh, how is it that we can practice cross-cultural evangelism? So welcome back into our Scent Life studios, Dr. Anna Dobb. Hello, I'm glad to be back. And Anna, welcome. And she comes in each week to uh, give us a story of the scent ones, just real stories about uh, what God is doing or has done around the world. Uh, Anna, who do we have to talk about today? So today I want to talk about someone that probably most people haven't heard of. His name is V.S. Azariah. Okay. And he is important, but like I said, most people have not heard of him. Okay. Um, so Edinburgh 1910 is considered a very important date in the history of uh, world Christianity. Right. So it doesn't seem like it when, when the conference actually happens. There's actually very few non-Western representatives at the conference. Um, and so if you were looking back on that, or if you were at the conference, you wouldn't sit there and say, this is the turning point for world Christianity. But it actually, uh, from the conference, many, many uh, missions historians actually say that that's kind of the turning point when we start to really embrace this idea of world Christianity. Okay. So V.S. Azariah is an Indian believer who's invited to the Edinburgh 1910 conference. Okay. Now, Azariah uh, worked with the YMCA of India for many years, and he also started two Indian mission agencies, one that was to reach Indians and one that was to reach people outside of India. Okay. Um, he's most famous for his evening speech that was given at the Edinburgh 1910 conference. It was titled The Problem of Cooperation Between Foreign and Native Workers. Wow. And in this, he gives kind of three relationships that are present between the Western missionaries and national workers. The first is the personal relationship. Uh, he wants to move the relationship between Indian Christians and Western Christians from that uh, from father or, or patron to mm -hmm. friend. Okay. And so one of the things he says is he says, friendship is more than condescending love. Wow. Uh, I do not for a moment deny that the foreign missionaries love the country and the people of this country for whom they've made such noble sacrifices. But friendship is more than the love of a benefactor. Hmm. He also talks about the official relationship. Um, and, and in this case, he's actually discussing who gets to be the leader. Okay. Um, and he calls for Western missionaries to accept the leadership of the national believers. Hmm. Um, and actually says, can you create some opportunities for Indian believers to be hmm. in leadership? Um, and he says to them, we shall, we shall learn to walk only by walking, perchance only by falling wow. and learning from our mistakes, but never by being kept in leading strings until we arrive at maturity. Hmm. And finally, he talks about the spiritual relationship. Um, he believed that Western uh, Christians and Indian believers could actually learn from each other. And he says, it, it, uh, it is in this cooperation of joint study at the feet of Christ that we shall realize the oneness of the body of Christ. The exceeding riches of the glory of Christ can be fully realized not by the Englishman, the American, and the continental alone, mm -hmm. nor by the Japanese Christians and Indians by themselves, but by all working together, worshiping together, and learning together the perfect image of our Lord and Christ. And then he concludes this speech, this, this uh, kind of pivotal, important speech right. at the Edinburgh 1910 uh, conference by pleading for change. He says, through all the ages to come, the Indian church will rise up in gratitude to attest the heroism and self-denying labors of the missionary body. Hmm. You've given your goods to feed the poor. 
You've given your bodies to be burned. We also ask for love. Give us friends. Wow. What a fantastic story of a guy that most people have never heard of. Exactly. But uh, really, it's challenging call at the turn of the century to say, hey, if we want to reach the world, we have to do it together. Exactly. And that's what I, I think he uh, kind of embodies. Um, as you said, most people don't know who mm-hmm. he is. Most people may have never heard of his story. Mm-hmm. But uh, this particular speech and some of the other speeches b- done by uh, non-Western Christians at Edinburgh 1910 really spurred on this century of world Christianity that we've seen in the 1900s and early 2000s. And really, it's a, kind of the, the launching pad for the great work that's taking place around the world. Exactly. As Christians across the world partner uh, with our missionary God as he brings the nations to himself. Yes. I always say that the Great Commission will be fulfilled by us working together with the nations. Amen. Thanks so much for being here, Anna. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, welcome into the Set Life Studios. I'm Scott Hildreth. I'm here with uh, Keelan Cook, my co-host. And today we want to talk about a topic uh, that we get asked about regularly. Um, and, and that really is, how do I tell people who are different from me about Jesus? Keelan, we've said several times that we live in a uh, country uh, that is experiencing an increase in uh, international visitors, international students, refugees, uh, you have a fancy word you use, this idea of diaspora missions and, and working in the diaspora. Can you catch us up just a little bit about what's taking place? And then we'll talk a bit about how do we actually communicate the gospel uh, to folks who are different than we are. Yeah, certainly. So I can remember when I first landed on the field in Africa as a missionary, right? Yep. I, the door opened to the plane and I got off and I was in this hustling and bustling airport. Mm. And I was the only person that looked anything like me that I could see anywhere. And there was these strange languages and everything was unfamiliar. Yep. Uh, I, I felt kind of like I was almost imprisoned, right? Yep. I didn't know how to communicate. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on around me. It was very disorienting. I say all that to say, uh, used to, this idea of cross-cultural missions and engagement, it was for the select few that may find themselves either as a long-term missionary overseas or in some setting they were uh, on a short-term trip mm-hmm. or something. And so I had a short moment where I had to deal with it. Increasingly, uh, that's not the case. Right. Uh, we're finding a moment in history here in the United States where uh, you're not going to wind up in an airport full of people who are speaking a different language than you necessarily Right. But what you are going to do is realize that increasingly you're bumping into people that are from a very different cultural background mm-hmm. than you. And you can tell they, English isn't necessarily their first language. They, yep. There's probably a whole world over here of thought and culture and worldview and language that these people exist in and that they think in. And how in the world are we supposed to, as Christians in the church here in the States now, uh, engage with those people in a way that is fruitful and healthy and, and creates understanding? And that's a question that we all have to answer now. Right. So question that we, I think, probably should answer right off the bat, um, uh, or maybe a statement we ought to make, is that this podcast, as we talk about cross-cultural evangelism, we're not dealing with the political issues of immigration. Uh, or we're not dealing with whatever your stance from which your political party on how many people should come in. We're dealing with the, the reality that there are people here uh, who uh, need to hear about the gospel. No doubt. Uh, no doubt, regardless of the policy conversation, 
Uh, we as the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ have been told to make disciples of all nations. Uh, and the Bible is clear that anybody that can fog a mirror, we need to be sharing the gospel with them. Yeah. And so here we find ourselves, uh, God is sovereign over all things, and we find ourselves in a situation where cross-cultural encounters are going to happen for everybody in the church now. Yeah, you almost can't avoid them, right? If you're going to live yeah. on mission in your neighborhood, in your city, you almost can't avoid uh, the opportunity. So let's ask. Let's just let's just ask a real obvious question first. Um, is it really my responsibility to share the gospel with my neighbor or with the person in the restaurant who's different than I am, or should I just wait and think somebody who speaks their language, somebody who's who's more like them, will probably tell them about Jesus? I just need to stick with the people around me. After all, there are a whole bunch of people who look like me, who talk like me, who eat what I eat and like to go where I go, who aren't Christians. Do I, is it really my responsibility to talk to other people about Jesus too? Yes. Next question. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, so, of course it is, uh, though we often don't like how uncomfortable that truth makes us, do we? Right. Uh, the Bible is clear. Uh, about the importance of the the gospel spreading to new groups and through the church. Uh, you think about the Romans 10 passage, right, mm-hmm. where it talks about how would they know if they don't hear? And those of us who have the gospel, we have a responsibility to share with anyone that the Lord may put across our path. You see clear examples of that all throughout the book of Acts. You've got um, issue with like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and, right. and, and just this kind of at-chance circumstance. I say at-chance, it was clearly divine. Right. But there's clear evidence and examples of taking the gospel where it's not known and the least reached, well, they're now in arms reach mm. of so many of our churches. And uh, it's a clear and obvious responsibility that we have. Yeah, to tell them about Jesus. So if we put the, so we take the, we take the ownership, the responsibility God's given us as Christians, the mandate, the commission, make disciples of all nations. I like your statement, the unreached are now within arm's reach. Did you make that up? I think it did. I well, think. That's good. That's good. Maybe we should, uh, maybe we should, could, should uh, copyright that. That's a good phrase. Uh, but now if we think about these least reached or think about people who maybe they're not from necessarily a non-Christian country. They just happen to be here. Um, what is the what makes this such an uncomfortable moment when we think about telling people from a different cultural context about Jesus? It's obvious it's uncomfortable for people who are like us, but it's more uncomfortable there. So what are some of the elements that make this most uncomfortable for us? So if I had to sum it up in one word, mm-hmm. uh, though I think we can unpack that some, I would say the unknown. Okay. It's the unknown. Uh, there's a scenario where I'm looking across and mm-hmm. realizing uh, that I don't know what I don't know. And that starts to fill in a lot of gaps mm. and fears for you if you're not careful. And all of a sudden it's like, well, one, I don't want to offend them. I don't want them to get mad at me. I don't want to say something that wrong or in mm. a way that they wouldn't understand it or or uh, all those questions start to rise to the surface. And when I'm sitting here with somebody that you know grew up in the same setting I did, and I, I know that we're mm. going to have a shared story here, uh, there's a whole lot of assumption that's mm-hmm. built into the ease of that conversation. Right. Well, all of that assumption's gone when it comes to somebody that we know is clearly a cross-cultural moment. And because of that, there's, it's replaced with this unknown, this big question mark. Yeah, it's amazing what we can fill into our brain, totally. our imagination can go crazy when we think about telling somebody 
about Jesus who's different from us. Now, we might talk to them about all kinds of other things, directions or, you know, where'd you buy that shirt or you know, anything else. But when we think about telling them about Jesus, all of a sudden our imagination goes to, well, I mean, they might actually be a closet terrorist or maybe I'm going to say something they don't understand and they'll never become a Christian because I said something wrong. Or maybe I'm going to offend them in such a way that then they'll hate all Americans, they'll hate all Christians. So our imagination can just go crazy when we deal with this idea of the unknown, and um, it's it's kind of strange the way we fill in the gaps in this, as opposed to just saying, I'm just going to do it. Now it's like, oh my goodness, there's every reason. And so we can convince ourselves these are good, noble, Christian, love your neighbor reasons to not tell somebody about Jesus. Certainly are. And uh, one of the things that I, I do want to give some credit here, I think, this is maybe me playing the benefit of the doubt, okay. but... I think one of the reasons we have so much fear, like you said, I mean, it's one thing to offer directions or advice or, or help. It's another thing when we want to turn to a spiritual conversation here, isn't right. it? And all of a sudden, the, the stakes seem to be raised right. for that moment. And I think it's because we do, in fact, realize how important that conversation mm-hmm. is. And so the more important the conversation we feel we're having, the more likely we are to think, one of the table stakes are pretty high here. And yeah. so I can't screw this one up. Right, right. That's a great point. So uh, how, do we, how do we overcome that fear? Um, you have coached churches, you've coached Christians for the last, you know, the better part of the last decade to engage uh, people of different cultures. What are some ways that you've coached people to overcome these fears, the fear of the unknown or other fears that they might face, so that they can at least feel a little bit more confident in this process of, of cross-cultural evangelism? Certainly. Uh, ultimately, you got to rip the Band-Aid off. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. Like, there's a level where we're not going to get comfortable doing this until we do this. Yeah. And so we've got to realize that the conversation has to move from the abstract to the real. Mm. Uh, very often, we, and this is true of evangelism in general, we, have, right. we will train ourselves to death mm. on this conversation, and we'll come up with a new tool and a new strategy, and uh, we'll sit in our Sunday school classroom on a Thursday night at 7.00 talking about how to do evangelism with one another, and we'll practice on one another, and we'll do all of this kind of stuff, and then we'll leave the room and not actually do any of it Mm. with somebody else. We get very good at knowing how to do things that we don't ever actually practice, and it's especially tempting to do that when it comes to the cross-cultural situation. So one of the primary things I try uh, to coach a church in doing on this particular point is getting their people face-to-face with people that are from a different culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, that's easier than ever now. Uh, most places sure. in the United States at this point, there are diaspora pockets or ethnic enclaves, and there's really low-hanging fruit here for you to take a group of people from your church and in 10, 15 minutes be staring in the face somebody from a completely mm-hmm. different culture and religious background than you've ever grown up in. And uh, I think putting a human real face on this problem, instead of it being some abstract concept, is one of the most important pieces to, to getting over that curve. That's a great point. Great point. Another thing that I've learned is that a little bit of education helps a lot. Absolutely, it does. So when I'm thinking about working with somebody from a different country, or I'm anticipating I'm going to this restaurant, or this this group of refugees, or this pocket of people lives in my town, uh, rather than just Uh, be afraid, maybe we can address that with a little bit of education. I don't think you ought to be an expert, right? Mm. God didn't call us to be an expert in Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam or anything else. But there is the comforting feature of being just a little bit comfortable. So 
someone's in your town, maybe you have a neighbor, you realize, man, these people are from, say, Lebanon, or they're from Syria, or maybe they're from Iran, or uh, China, or Thailand. You think, maybe God's put them there so I can talk to them. There's a little bit of, of study you can do, maybe even Wikipedia or something like mm-hmm. that. You know, a little bit about the country, a little bit about the people, a little bit about the history. That little bit of education sometimes get you past this unknown hurdle. Now, I don't mean you ought to go out there and pretend you speak the language or something like that, but just enough that you think, okay, now I'm comfortable a little bit in this discussion. That can alleviate a lot of fear. Absolutely, it does. Uh, When I've coached churches in this, there's kind of two things that I tell Mm -hmm. them that's great for preparatory work. Uh, you want to instill urgency and confidence mm-hmm. in your congregation. Urgency Good. that this is absolutely something that needs to be done, and, yeah. and we're the ones God has given the task to. Uh, confidence that not only has he given us this task, and it is urgent, but we can actually do it. Yeah. And that confidence comes, I think, from a couple of things. One is let's let's remove some fears. I've got this idea in my head that everybody from that group's a terrorist, mm. and if I go talk to them, they're actually going to try to kill me. Right. Uh, and so let's let's kill some of those fears. Yep. Uh, let's get rid of that, uh, the tropes. But in addition to that, like you said, you don't have to be an expert. But if we can teach people how to be cultural learners mm. and we can put some tools in their hands so that they can go into a situation with somebody and confidently begin to engage in a way that helps them learn about the group. Mm. You've gone a long way at that point to giving people confidence and the ability to do this kind of work. That's good. Yeah. So the unreached within arm's reach uh, Keelan, are there any, uh, do you know of any resources that may be helpful uh, that we could recommend to our listeners that would give them either the skill or the training or the opportunity to be more effective, more confident, maybe to engage in cross-cultural evangelism? Yes, yeah, so I'll go ahead and throw out a shameless plug right okay. here. Uh, we've been working for a while here at Southeastern uh, on this particular issue, right? And so we, a number of years back, came up with the concept of the People's Next Door. Yep. Uh, the People's Next Door project is one that we've we've had. Uh, it currently uh, rests at peoplesnextdoor.com. Yep. Uh, it's where you can find that. And there's a number of articles and helps and resources on that website that talk about all kinds of different issues in this. And that's a, a space that you can go to in order to be able to, to engage in this issue. So that's, that's a shameless plug yep. there. But it's there. In addition to that, though, there's a growing body of materials and research that's written on this specific topic, how to engage with uh, peoples here in the States yeah. and uh, or other diaspora settings. And so I, I would encourage you, there are, uh, you can just type in diaspora mm-hmm. missions okay. to Amazon and find a number of those works, and several of them are, are really good. Of course, anytime you search for a book on Amazon, you got to be careful be about smart. what you're going to get right. into. Uh, one book that I would recommend that I give to churches all the time is a little book uh, by Sarah Lanier okay. called Foreign to Familiar. Okay, yeah, that's a very uh, good book. Foreign to Familiar, it's super accessible. It's the kind that you'd give to somebody that's never necessarily, maybe they've never even had any theological training or any of those kind of things. They've not, uh, they're not seminary students. They're not pastors or church leaders, but they're just folk in a church that really want to learn how to engage. Mm -hmm. The book is written for for that layer. It's written for people who just care about this, but they don't have any background in it whatsoever. And it gives them some simple tools to break down some of those barriers. Foreign to familiar. That's a good book, good resource. So as as you think about, uh, again, the unreached within arm's reach, our encouragement is that you would find ways to to share the gospel with those 
around you that God brings into your path. And certainly because of the world we live in, many are going to be different than you, than, than the people that you're familiar with. So find a way uh, to rip off the Band-Aid, get involved in conversations, take advantage of the chance to share the gospel as you follow God on his mission, as he's bringing people into our paths uh, who need to know about Jesus, and they're in your life and in your circle of living so that you can be the one that tells them about the hope they can find in Jesus. Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary exists to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. Located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, we offer over 40 degrees, ranging from a Bachelor of Arts to a Doctor of Philosophy. The Master of Divinity is Southeastern's flagship degree for anyone seeking to be thoroughly equipped to serve their local church through a variety of ways. Since 1950, Southeastern has grown its student body to more than 5,000 students who seek to minister in the U.S. and around the world. We believe that theological education is more than just building knowledge. It's about becoming who God has called you to be. No matter how God is calling you to serve, Southeastern will come alongside you and help you to grow in your faith and go to reach the lost. If you're interested in learning more, check out sebts.edu to find out how God might be calling you to go next. Use the code THESENTLIFE, all caps, no spaces, and Southeastern will waive your application fee. All right. Thanks so much for coming back this week for uh, this episode of Out of the Tower, where we really try to take what we learn in the classroom, what we teach at Southeastern, and bring it to a more uh, a more accessible level so that we can engage in a missional lifestyle, missionary living uh, out of the tower, onto the street. As always, we welcome Dr. George Robinson into our Scent Life studios. Dr. Robinson, welcome. Hey, thanks, Dr. Hills. Glad you're here with us. What do we have this week uh, as we step out of the tower, Doc? So this week we're going to talk a little bit about the third place. Oh, the third base? The third place. Third place. Yeah. Okay. So sociologists uh, a while back uh, kind of described this phenomenon that prior to World War II, the first place was the home, that, that place that people's lives centered around uh, their home and, and their family. Post-World War II, a lot of women went into the workforce, mm-hmm. and as a result of that, um, identities became wrapped up in career choices okay. and where people worked. And so the second place would be the workplace. Okay. Um, you know, back in the 70s and the 80s and even into the 90s, those were the two realms that seemed to be the most fruitful for personal evangelism. But a subtle shift happened in the 1980s where leisure was introduced into the average American's life. Even a blue-collar worker uh, would get a fair amount of vacation time, a fair amount of time off from work. Um, And the result of that is that they began to find things to do Mm. in those leisure times. So a a hobby or a place where they would spend their time when they're not at home, when they're not at work. That's their third place. place. And a third place is the most fruitful place for personal evangelism in our culture because it's the place where people choose to spend that time that's not tied up with all of their other responsibilities. And so one of the things I want to encourage your listeners to do is to live with missional intentionality, to find your third place Hmm. and to engage there. It may be a coffee shop. Uh, Even Starbucks says, we don't sell coffee, we sell community. Ah, okay. Starbucks is a third Third place. place. Um, CrossFit 
they have their own language. They 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 call it not a gym; it's a box. box. They have a wad, a workout of the day. They have this whole language, and the way that they get people to stay in CrossFit is to create community. Hmm. That's what people are looking for in these third places. And so even in different seasons of your life, those third places may change a little bit. So for me and you as well, you know, when you had kids that were living at home, maybe teenagers, there were a lot of activities that they were involved in. I spent a lot of time going with my kids to um, theater events Mm -hmm. that they were engaged in or uh, cross country or basketball games or whatever. Those are fruitful times to cultivate relationships Mm -hmm. because you have something in common when you're in that place. If I'm sitting in the stands of the basketball game, Little League basketball game, uh, the person sitting beside me has a child out there on the court as well. It becomes a place of relational connection that then allows me to begin to live with missional intentionality and engage them with the thing that's most important to me. So find your third place. Amen. Thanks so much. Not the third base, but the third place, an open door for community for evangelism. Thanks so much for being with us, Dr. Robinson. Yeah. Appreciate it.